This week's episode is brought to you in part by FNX Fit, a fitness supplements brand that can get you hooked up with all of your pre, post, during workout needs as well as other nutritional supplements. Use checkout code CARLPOOLING at fnxfit.com to get 15% off your order. It's not, uh, you know, Hunter, it's not every day. No, it's not only that it's not every day. It's that I can genuinely say that I didn't think that this day would ever come. And sure. I'm glad it has come. But it's one of those things that you sit back and you look at it and you it, you just, it puts a smile on your face that's hard to, it's hard to wipe off. Are you talking about getting married and looking at your younger self and being like, you know what? Now I do get to see boobs every day. You're welcome, younger me. Well, okay. You almost <laughs> lost me on that, and then you brought me right back in with the boob talk. You're welcome. Uh, kind of, yeah. But yeah. no, I'm talking about something that is even more impactful to me, actually. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, Hunter, recently, AT&T divested itself of Time Warner, as oh. I'm sure you're aware. I wasn't. That's actually big news. Okay, very interesting. And in the in that move, Time Warner partnered with Discovery to launch a new media company. Okay. Part of that activity included the launching of a new CNN streaming service, as you might know, CNN owned Ooh. owned by Time Warner. It's uh, it is the biggest flop you can imagine. They have. <laughs> They have about 10,000 active subscribers. And here's here's why it fills me with such overwhelming joy, Hunter. Lay it on me. Carl Pooling in the month of April and March capped 17,000 followers. <laughs> Which means that th- these underdogs, this rinky-dink brigade... I mean, I don't want to put too fine a point on it. I don't want to argue too much, but we are a bigger media organization than CNN. That feels good. I that think feels... that's probably the the most correct way to state that. So, yeah. And by a factor of 1.7. So <laughs> it's not even really close. We're, we're cleaning the floor with them. No doubt. And you can imagine there's a lot of floor to be cleaned. I don't know if you've ever seen Brian Stelter slither, but the the trail he leaves. Oh. It's like it's, what's the what's the lady from Monsters Inc? Roz. Yeah, it's like Roz. Yeah. You know yeah. how she leaves that kind of trail? I'm watching you, Brian Stelter. Always watching. Is that what you're going for? <laughs> I mean you you've completely mixed the metaphor. Brian oh. Stelter was supposed to be Roz. <laughs> Which really ah, fits it. because he's he's bulbous, odious, and uh, indeterminate from a gender perspective, which is all sure. things I thought of Ross. Everyone's freaking out <laughs> that they're going to have more LGBTQIA plus characters. Yeah. In, but I was gay for about 30 minutes when I realized that Ross was a woman in Monsters, Inc. Oh, I was no. like, well, if that's in the pool, I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Oh, no. Anyway, huge news. So so what do you do with news like that? First of all, thank you to everyone yeah, within you, everyone. the sound of my voice for making carpooling one of the largest media organizations in the United States. I mean, 
uh, right now just clobbering CNN dude, with our podcast hammer. Dude, with two microphones, this thing called the internet, and several hours of our free time, we've now defeated a media empire in terms of list- listenership, and... We haven't made a freaking dime off of it. What's wrong with us? <laughs> We're not good at We're not monetizing good. our content, which, you oh, know, what is whatever, because we're both independently wealthy. And also, Hunter, I'll send you the details yes. after the show, but I have a pretty interesting offer from a Saudi prince that you might Ooh. want to look into. Uh, yeah. Yes. Obviously, been burned by the Nigerian prince before, this mm. time Saudi Arabian. I'm thinking everything's good to go. They have that uh, palantir, so I like trust them immediately. Well, um, I don't know what that word means. So, uh, oh, that's the orb that Gandalf touches in uh, in the Lord of the Rings. Did that help? You seriously have to quit reading the Silmarillion. <laughs> Your it's knowledge so of of insane concepts that are fully fabricated <laughs> is on the rise, but yeah. your charisma is plummeting. <laughs> I never had much charisma anyway, so which I is mean, why it's <laughs> astounding that it's now reached terminal velocity. I didn't know oh, it man. had that far to fall. You know what That's I'm saying? Right. Yeah, it's right. You thought zero was as low as it could go. Nah, no, man, you've broken right right through the floor. <laughs> nah, man, I could do this anyway. <laughs> That's excellent. Okay, so uh, so yes, thank thank you again, everyone, for listening. Also, I want you to know that I know that that those numbers are are not. My interpretation of those numbers isn't perfect. For one, we're dealing with monthlies. I think that 10,000 is reported their dailies. But regardless, I didn't look too much further into it because our number bigger than their number, the end. The end. The end. <laughs> and I'm, I'm quite proud of that fact. Yeah. So uh, it probably won't be long before they're playing carpooling in airports. You know what I'm saying, Hunter? Heck yeah. I mean, like, I want to go on Chris Wallace's show and go, but why were you so bad? You know, like I'm really looking forward to that day. So the, the fall of Chris Wallace. Yeah, let's okay. Let's take another second to talk about this. <laughs> How long has Chris Wallace been pretending to be a conservative on Fox News? Um, right. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, mostly because I have no idea how old Chris Wallace is, because mm-hmm. he simultaneously looks like a corpse and an 11 year old boy. Yeah. I can't. Yeah. He, he's one of the least manly looking people I know. Uh, who is is in theory a cis man? So I don't know how long he's he's been at the game, but regardless, he he was playing conservative over at Fox for a while. He got an offer from CNN. He took it. He got like a terrible time slot. Nobody watched his show uh, because obviously they've spent so long hating him and and vilifying everything from Fox News. How did they think that that would work out well? Then they were going to make him kind of the flagship voice of their streaming service, and literally no one cares. We we might not be bigger than CNN. Might not. And, of course, I'm saying might because that prospect is dubious considering our number is 1.7 times higher than theirs. We might not be bigger than CNN in actuality. There's, like, no way we're not bigger than Chris Wallace at this point. Yeah, it shows you what a sham cable is too, right? Because like, people will pay for their cable package so they can turn the TV on and watch who knows what. But you know, is it on for the dog? Is it on in the airport? You know, what's actually happening there? And you make people pay ten dollars for a single channel and crickets. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. You got to imagine that most of the time it's on for the animals because the view is still somehow on the air. Right. Um, and like I've mentioned before, that show is not made for human consumption. No, it's not safe. 
So anyway, guys, uh, thanks for bearing with us last week. We had a, a um, we we had someone leave our family, and we also had a new member join our family. So it was yeah. a it was a a um, a Busy time week. of change in the Carl household. But now we have solidified our numbers and and rectified our losses by adding a, a bright new soul into the world, which is just wonderful. We met her the mm-hmm. other day at Easter. Mm-hmm. Um, so precious and uh kind of a turd though she wouldn't talk to me yeah you know what all right babies (laughs) start doing your part yeah we're all and i know she's only been alive for a couple weeks be that as it may yeah everyone else is doing dishes and stuff and you can't even be bothered to go poop in the place where the rest of us poop do you know like how not, long? After I clean the dishes, now I have to come over here and handle the fact that you think it's just hilarious to poop in your pants. And not only that, you'll have the, you'll have the the gall to poop in your pants, but then the temerity to complain about it. Like you're not <laughs> the only one that could possibly be responsible for that problem. It's oh, insane. Man. It's insane. Also, little creeps, you make mom take off her shirt every single time you're hungry. Yeah. Imagine not, that behavior. She doesn't even do that for, you know, her husband, which Ima- is just Exactly. Imagine it's that. It's rude. Behavior. It's rude for starters. But. Sounds like a CNN a CNN office Christmas party is what it sounds like, Hunter. Oh, I mean, just ridiculous. Tubin. Anyway. <laughs> Anyhow, um, What is this show about again? It's time that someone finally started somebody finally started to to talk about this baby issue. Yeah, um, welcome to Carl Bowling. It's the only show on the internet that's guaranteed to get you fired. Because um, we're, we're rabidly anti-baby. <laughs> we're so anti-baby. Uh, we, we talk about all the topics you can't talk about. Faith, politics, religion, science, art, etc., etc. Um, and we do it all in the name of uh, no more... Uh, 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 children, that doesn't sound good. We'll work. Th- we'll 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 fix that in post and uh, yeah, this just is really going to cast a different light on all of our pro-abortion uh, or I mean our anti-abortion, anti-abortion episodes. I've just canceled myself on the on the right wing there because uh, people we're going to have these sound bites now. Hunter, do you remember? I guess it was a couple of years ago when there was a guy that yeah. was literally re- posting response podcast to every single episode of our podcast oh my god yeah yeah i remember that he would have had a field day with this one because (laughs) yeah because you know they're like well why would you want a baby to come into the world if you can't take care of it (laughs) and i'm like no i'm with you i once they get here i hate them (laughs) i cannot believe how little effort it took for us to one become bigger than cnn and two receive death threats and three have an internet stalker that judged everything we said online like this internet thing is weird dude his 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 private messages to me were so (laughs) weird they were i never talked about him on air because i think for a while we were thinking we were gonna like do a re-response and just crucify this guy yeah Um, yeah 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 which easter would have been a great time just kind of you know oh my god but the but we never ended up doing it because he was just so boring but mm. behind the scenes, he was like, he, "Have you seen the movie The Three Amigos?" Yeah. Okay, so in the in the plot of The Three Amigos, the amigos. Uh, let's see. There's there's Lucky, Dusty, and Chevy Chase, and Ned Ned Niederlander. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> who's Martin Short? Martin Short is indomitable in every yeah. way. Um, yeah. They they go down to Mexico thinking that they're putting on like a stage play for the little town of uh, Santa Santa Poco, and yeah. anyhow they they think that they're play acting with the with these other group of bandits uh, banditos right. which yep. are, are led by El Guapo, and so anyway they they're they think that they're goofing around and they go out and just act a fool and do like this horse and pony show where they surround them and shoot blanks in the air and they they are like whispering to the these bandits who have live ammunition and want to kill them they're like hey you're doing great out there like hey by the way you should say you should tell me that I'll die like a dog. You know, like they're feeding them lines and stuff. That right. was the energy he brought to our DMs. It was like, oh man, it's like we were working together to produce some kind of drama. It was so weird. It was a bizarre person. Anyway, wow. all right. I Enough love about Carl pooling lore, probably Hunter. Yeah, uh, but but uh, we we are grateful for each and every one of you, and uh, we we've got some stuff in the pipe, maybe to help us interact a little bit more. Maybe a Carl Pooling public facing Discord channel. He teases Ooh. Uh, Ooh. where we could we could chat and uh, and hang out. So anyhow, as as the community continues to grow, we're gonna look for more ways to uh, make you think that we're your friends, so we can siphon more money out of you while we call you fat. Uh, which I think is a perfect <laughs> time to tell you about fnxfit.com, our sponsor, Hunter. FNXFit, yep. it's made specifically for our listeners of our audience. Fat, lazy, uh, uncoordinated. And sleepy, just so sleepy. The yeah. lethargy of the Carl Pulling fan base is second to none. You guys yeah. need every single bit of available help through nutritional enhancement and supplement. FNX Fit has everything that you need. Go there. Use checkout code Carl Pooling for 15% off your order. And uh, don't tell them we sent you. If they remember about us, the sponsorship will evaporate. Immediately. Gu- guaranteed. Yeah. FNX Fit will be a disembodied hand writing on the wall of my apartment saying you've been weighed in the revenue stream and found wanting. Um <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah. Anyhow. I'm pretty I'm pretty sure you can get an FNX Fit like uh onesie or athleisure wear. So, you know, if you oh, if that's what if that's your speed, you can go for that, you we've, know. We we have gone 95 episodes without the word athleisure being a part of our our podcast repertoire. It was but time. You've just, you've just used it. It was time. I've yeah. been really getting into Instagram. I think and I just that want you would that be. A, I think you would be a great influencer. You know what would be great is if I started wearing one of those hats and like out to like the job sites I work on. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, guys would guys would really dig that. I think that'd be great. I, I I could see Lululemon like hiring you. Yeah. As an influencer to wear Reebok yoga pants so that yeah. no one else would ever buy one again. Yeah, that's a good idea actually. I what, should I should pitch them on that. What's a so, negative influencer called? Uh a, a soul sucker. That doesn't yeah. sound great. They uh, the regular ones do that anyway. We're going to have yeah. to come up with something a little bit more specific. Speaking oh. of more specific, in, oh my gosh! Uh, producer, producer Haley just sent me an absolute gem, a sinfluencer, yeah. which, to be fair, uh, still could be used. Still as, could be a regular influencer. Yeah, yeah. just as a regular influencer, still. Uh, yeah. But, you remember uh, Fire Emblem? That guy he used like Death Magic, the last boss. What was he like? What What was that stuff he used? The original 
Game Boy Advance Fire yeah, Emblem? Yeah, 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 with Marth and Roy. I'm sorry, with Hector and Roy. Yeah, um, I don't know. He had lots of spells. Yeah, Nosferatu. Had, yeah, Nosferatu. That that feels like a good name for them. You know, it seems dark and soul sucking. Have um, you seen the original film Nosferatu, the black and white German vampire film that ripped off Bram Stoker? No, ask me about the roadkill though. <laughs> it's hilarious. You should watch it. Okay, anyway, ask me yes. about the roadkill though. Hunter, Hunter, please do tell us what is today's roadkill. California public school enrollment absolutely craters. Drops by 110,000 students this year. Holy cannolis. Holy cannoli is right, Batman. Um, like teaser. Can you believe that? Can you? I mean, like, what? What in the world caused that, Christopher? Like, what? What could cause people to take their children out of the public school system? I mean, it befuddles the mind. It befuddles the mind. What could it have been? I had to list twenty-five different individual. No, I'm just kidding. I won't do that. But yeah, uh, you think that maybe parents are kind of fed up with the double-edged sword of a terrible, crappy education product coupled with unreal indoctrination no. by a sexually aggressive pedophile social grooming cult? No, no, Christopher. This is racism. Pure racism. and simple. Okay, and against Californians? No, no. This if, is, this... if they are a race, I am racist. <laughs> Californians are racist and they are moving away from California because they're so racist that they lock everything up in their Walgreens because they're afraid of the criminals coming in there to steal literally any product off the walls. You're saying that the parents in California are racist for moving their kids out? Yes. Oof, that's an uphill battle. Uh, Yeah, I mean, prove me wrong. Am I right? Let me just, let's play a thought experiment. <laughs> Everyone within the sound of my voice in, in podcast land, close your eyes. And uh-huh. I'm going to say two things. Okay. I'm going to ask you to think of the citizen of a certain locality and picture someone in your head. Okay. Picture the okay. first person that comes to your head. Okay. Yep. Here we go. You ready? Mm. Okay. Los Angeles. Soy boy. I'm, I'm going to guess with a golden hair, maybe a surfboard. <laughs> probably topless okay detroit hmm uh-huh did he have golden hair <laughs> <laughs> you're a bad person all i'm saying is that i don't know i don't know that saying leaving california public school system is necessarily motivated by race gang not positive yeah. with that one could you uh, could be right you could be right yeah no i mean this is this is just this is what happens when you have a terrible uh policy you punish people for being alive you ruin their lives during the covid lockdowns you don't police crime you let homeless people live on the streets and people find alternatives and these people could be going to private schools or they could be leaving uh, your state in droves and the census seems to bear out the second option there yeah so well, there's probably some of both you know yeah um, there absolutely is some of both but it's it's also interesting in speaking of race and, and schooling uh public sentiment from minority groups for charter schools has never been higher uh it's oh really wow and it's going up kind of an interesting little little side point there hunter yeah. i am surprised that you didn't choose uh the kamala harris or not kamala harris um mm-hmm. ilhan omar story over the weekend as our roadkill today yeah um 
you can only hit them so much. Yeah, I know? was just I was just like, hoping to. Um, oh, okay. But then I watched I watched Crowder's bit on it and Dave Landau absolutely destroyed it. I'm going to repeat his joke here. Yeah. Her tweet was, I think me and my family should have a prayer session the next time that we get onto a uh airplane. How would that end up? And of course then Crowder said, Well, her she's getting at the the idea that it would end up very different. And Dave Landau interrupts him and he's like, Yeah, because um precedent. <laughs> oh no. Oh, oh wow! Man. Oh, what a what a funny gr- bunch of boys over there. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, they did it better than than I would have anyway. So yeah, let it go. I feel yeah, like but- Sam Harris is the authority on that stuff. I uh, I encourage anyone to go and read his books discussing um, uh, that. It's 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 very useful. Wait, on what stuff specifically? Um, just just uh the violence that's caused in different religions and the different um, uh, attitudes and social norms of certain religions as well. Um, I think it's just useful to visit Sam because he provides good insight into all that. And also the delusions that people on the liberal left can uh, um, tell themselves about that. And it leads to this bigotry of low expectations among um, Islamists. So, yeah, yeah, that, uh, ask Sweden about that this morning. Sure. Anyhow, let's let's um, stall this engine and switch tracks. We have a a cool topic today. We're going to take a break from politics in general to bring to you what I think is a really interesting fusion of psychology and philosophy with a very very hot off the press modern movie Ooh, and ah, so ah. i went and saw this movie before hunter saw this movie and he was asleep because uh, we went to a matinee and he usually goes to bed around seven yeah and so he was he was asleep by the time i got out of the film regardless i called him the next day at a respectful hour and then meant um mentioned to him that it was a really good film. I enjoyed it. And his first response to me, literally first response on the phone was, oh, is it an episode? To which I naively replied, no, I don't think so. I mean, it, I just like really enjoyed the film. I don't think there is much there in the way of analysis. So then Hunter went to see the film and he called me the next day uh, because he actually fell asleep during it because it, it was, mm-hmm. it was, uh, it started at noon and it was like a two and a half hour runtime. So he had to take yeah. his nap. Yeah. So he called me the next day and said, Hey, you're kind of an idiot. And then he explained <laughs> to me why I was kind of an idiot. And he won me over in, in short succession. There actually is kind of a beautiful uh, psychological, psychological underpinning to the story that goes deeper than you would expect at first. And so we're going to analyze that really for two reasons today. One, because like we, we enjoy doing, it is useful to see stories employing true psychology because Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways that's true narrative. And we'll talk about that more as we go through the episode and there's you know it's really cool too and we'll we'll do some more analysis on this but it's it's interesting that i liked the film without understanding 
why I liked the film so much. But I think that that connected to the fact that they told a real story. Yep. And, yep. and we'll get into that because because I truly hate superhero movies. Like, can't stand them. Haven't even watched. I, I've watched like three Marvel movies and yeah. they suck. Um, Iron Man 1 was fun, but mostly because Robert Downey Jr. is a dick. Mm-hmm. So, so that was really interesting. And the other reason that we want to discuss this is because it actually deals with a psychological concept that Hunter and I reference pretty frequently, but haven't talked into very deeply. And so today our topic is on the Batman and the Carl Jung's shadow concept. Yeah. So yeah. should be really interesting. Hunter, yeah. get us started. Yeah, I kind of want to make two points that I feel like are good little tangents, and we can go with these as far as we like, and then let's get into the meat of this. You know, one thing that's very interesting about this movie, Chris, is it is a superhero movie. And the thing about superheroes is, in many ways, they're um, they're like boring myth, you know, a lot of the time. Like yeah, most absolutely. Of the, most and they're not like interesting in the ways that myths are interesting and so like when i think about the first iron man movie the part that's so captivating about that film is not when he becomes iron man it's when he's stuck in the cave right and it's right. a man escaping from his captors right which man think about what we were talking earlier in this movie and about that being made in this climate today it's like i don't even know if it could um, but it, it, do this. Think about this. Think back yeah. to the Iron Man movie. If you're not like a crazy Marvel fanboy that watched it yesterday, yeah. Tell me what happens after he breaks out of the cave. Do you want me to? I'm. Te- I'm. I would. I would bet that there's a significant portion of the audience out there. Yeah, it's that, hard to remember. That doesn't find that very memorable. Yeah. It's it's exactly because of the point that you just made. Now there was cool yeah. effects. There was a cool fight scene. You knew what was going to happen. Mostly, I think he sure. probably saved Pepper Potts or whatever. Yeah, um, which I don't know why anyone in the right mind would save Gwyneth Paltrow. I mean, yeah. I wouldn't. I wouldn't put her in harm's way, but I also wouldn't get her out of it. You know what I'm saying? Someone uh, tied you to the tra- train tracks, Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, oh no. no! I'm just so. <laughs> I've just I've got so much stuff on my plate, you know. I could I'm, try look, I'll try and shuffle my schedule around. <laughs> I'll call you back maybe if your so, phone still works. Yeah, and so that's that's the thing that I think is so enjoyable about Batman. Um and uh, Daredevil on the modern side is because they are just guys, right? And so sure, yeah. there there's this part of them that falls out of the superhero story where it's like how would a human being, yes, one beyond the natural powers and stuff, handle these, uh, you know, terribly difficult problems? And the thing that's interesting about that is, well, that's the Odyssey, that's Odysseus, right? Is it's the same story, and it and it, we like those stories a lot. Um, and so Batman, yeah, is, and it's uh, it's not even just limited to the realm of mortals either. It's also uh, sure. Prometheus. Yes, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of real our, cost. Yeah, uh, and and the anomalish, like a lot of our our myth deals with a character that's quasi divine, right? Yeah, which is yeah. interesting. Why that sticks with us? Hmm. But yeah. anyway, yeah, and so I feel like that's one of the reasons Batman is such an interesting film. And one of the things that's interesting is Batman seems to get away with things most stories you can't get away with because it's Batman. 
Um, you know, this is one of the things you saw in medieval literature a lot too, is they would basically say, oh no, 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 no. I know the king. We kind of made him like a pansy and a loser in this story we're telling, but it's fiction, you know, it's not real. And so like, you kind of have that same effect happening with Batman movies today is there are certain things that they can get away with in Batman films that they can't get away with in the Marvel proper films, you know, so to speak, or the Disney films and things like that. And when, when that happens, you know, it's almost like you're getting a real story. It's almost like you're getting a real plot. And so a couple of things I think stand out to me dramatically for, for this film for me is the fact that, um, well, this is a cowboy slash medieval night movie. And the reason you know that, Christopher, is because there are literally three scenes in this movie. Well, let me ask you this. If I'd asked you, how do you know a cowboy is walking onto a scene? Uh, what's the sound you hear? You know, can, can you describe to me the sound a cowboy makes as he walks onto a scene? You, uh, the Specifically, the sounds of his spurs. Exactly right. Yeah. And if I asked you the question, you know, like a medieval knight is walking onto a scene. In the a clank movie, of the armor. Yeah. And there are literally three scenes in this movie where you hear Batman's boots. And sometimes they're off camera and it's just the sound of his boots walking it, it, towards the event. To your point, and, and let's just stop here and say massive spoilers. We're going to spoil the entire plot of this movie. Thanks. Yeah. If you, if you care about that, stop listening now. Mm-hmm. The first thing you hear of of Batman is Robert Pattinson's voice, mm-hmm. uh, while he's off camera, and yep. the uh, the second thing you hear is his footsteps. It is yep. the and it's a, a brilliantly shot scene, one yeah. that we're probably going to spend some time on because I think it is kind of integral to the the, the greater topic here, but. Yeah. But the, there's this scene where there's an individual being being accosted at a train station by this you know weird almost almost cyberpunky gang in Gotham and he you just hear from the darkness Batman's footsteps as he's walking up the steps and it's it's a long shot and the mm-hmm. filter that they have in the um on the camera makes the shadow exceptionally dark and look more like an abyss to nowhere than, mm-hmm. uh, than an actual subway station. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about the cinematography in this movie too. Cause I was really taken by, beautiful. by the direct it is a beautifully shot movie. In fact, mm-hmm. that was my first impression when I was walking away from it is that this is like one of the, it, this might be the best shot action movie I've ever seen mm-hmm. from, from that perspective, mm-hmm. regardless. Um, yeah, that's that's the first thing you see, and just like in the cowboy movie, you know, and he walks to the center of town to to duel. He uh, he commands the attention of everybody else in the scene, right? right. All right. of the the gangbangers stop their gangbanging, and mm-hmm. the the victim is you know turns his attention away from his present assailants to the darkness, and, yep. and it's cool because they had done a little vignette before that of all these criminals looking over their shoulder and yep, looking scared. into the dark corners and being like, where is the cowboy? Right. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Y- y- yeah. The dark night. Yeah. Yeah. Good to pull that out. You're a hundred percent correct. And this is the other thing that I think is so interesting about this film too. And it ties really tightly to this cowboy narrative is it is a tale of masculinity and you see this perfectly when Catwoman comes onto the scene because Remember what happens in Iron Man. You know, after the part where you can't remember is Black Widow destroys uh, four or five men with her wild leg grabs and 
next rose her right? thighs of destruction her thighs of destruction you know it's like yeah i know what they were doing there um but but my point being there is like when batman runs into catwoman chris my brain is trained when i see a man and a woman fight on television that it's this dramatic thing there's a bunch of blows being cast and there's two scene there's two moments in that scene where batman literally fends her off with one hand right yeah, she's he, trying he's to- straight memeing on her Right, he's he's not even paying attention to her as he reads uh, her girlfriend's uh, passport. Right, he right. literally grabs her with one arm and pulls her into a corner and you know makes her shut up. And it's a scary scene, but he's doing it to protect her from something else. Um, you see this too when other people fight her. Like she's strong, she's capable, but it's one guy with a pool stick and she's out for the count. Right, she's 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 a woman, and that's what Catwoman has always been. Is you know she's a burglar, she's a thief, but she's not a fighter. Yeah. Yeah, sub- subterfuge is her only advantage. Even in this film, in some of her extended, quote unquote, fight scenes, if you will, yeah. she she wins by by gaining the upper hand clandestinely, not from walking in the front door. Correct. Which Batman several times literally just walks in the front door. Right. By comparison. And, and this is and this is the trope you see at the last scene in the movie is. You know, Catwoman says, come with me. And Batman says, I can't. I'm needed. And so this is a cowboy thing. It's like a cowboy can never become what the, uh, he- uh, not heroine, but what, what, what the women, what the woman needs because he always needs to be the protector, right? He always has to go forth and do other, uh, other, uh, he always has to go and care for the next person that's in danger, right? And that's Batman's spirit and you know that. And so they literally are driving away on horseback together, right? And then yep. split pass. Yeah. And so it's like this very, very, so all that to say yeah, is- they, It literally has the ride out into the sunset. It does. Yeah, shot, exactly. You know, it's, it's kind of incredible. So this is a very masculine cowboy movie. And I think that's one of the weirdest things you can say about it. And the fact that a masculine cowboy movie got made about a guy in a black skin tight suit today is insane to me. Like, I don't I don't know how that happened. And I if you were to tell me this story existed, and you were to tell it in the way I just described, I would say it must have come from 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. And it did. not Yeah, so, absolutely. It's very well, let weird. me let me add one more point to that, because Please, uh, this, yeah. the, this and this is kind of the 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 flour in the cake that we're about to bake to explain the interesting things going on in this movie from a psycho, a psychological perspective. Mm-hmm. But th- you've seen the cars driving around. They'll have two collections of stickers. One will be either Marvel superheroes and Pokemon and nerd culture. Yeah. And the other one yeah. is black lives matter and trans rights or humans rights. You've, I know that you've seen this car before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are these people out here, superheroes, magical powers, Harry Potter, these things that are what I would consider exceptionally, immature forms of storytelling exceptionally immature versions of wish fulfillment mm-hmm. made into narrative appeal to the modern ethos it's one of the reasons why the marvel infrastructure has exploded in recent yeah. years and why you've got these super powerful woke women characters like captain marvel for instance oh, lord what a terrible Go- movie a terrible movie um, but it does well. It does decent at the box office, and Marvel in general does better at the box office than anybody ever has, basically. Mm-hmm. And the reason is because 
there's this idea that there's a thing about you that makes you special. And if you're mm-hmm. true to that thing, if you follow that voice wherever it leads, then it you will you will have whatever it is that you need to overcome the struggle of life. But then it gets into this really strange part place because there are no struggles. The, there's no there's no antagonism that ever rises to the level of these characters there they might play that they're struggling right mm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. even when yeah. thanos snaps will bring him back yeah you know what i'm saying everybody yeah. was freaking out when thanos killed iron man and i was just like okay and, and half the population with him i was like okay we can have a messiah story but hold your breath hold your breath and the next film sure. comes around and I haven't watched it, but lo and behold, I think everyone but but Iron Man specifically makes it back, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, so just just so the trolls don't kill you, like everybody dies. Iron Man is one of the people who doesn't die in the snap, but he uses the he becomes the Messiah, essentially it, saving it, everybody. It, it's but. it's the little it's little Peter Parker that dies that got yeah. everyone upset, and then they bring oh. Peter Peter Parker back because yeah. Stark does the Messiah thing, right? Right. Um, so uninteresting. So, in such a pitiful retelling of a messiah story, it, it, it's it's really sad. Um, how how base level it is. But yeah. they. But he was also. I mean, this is after seventy five movies or whatever. So anyway, everyone everyone lost their minds. But this is this is basic wish fulfillment where even the the unstoppable destruction of the half the world's population can be undone if yeah. you just do your thing man you know what i'm saying and so sure. it, instead of them fighting adversity it's more this this condition where they gain unnecessary notoriety by being true to themselves mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. that's the modern superhero movie and to that end batman the batman is not a superhero movie yeah. It is not. It, it contains a superhero, but I defy you to show me one thing he did that was super in any way. It's, he, it's completely he, appropriate to refer to Batman as a vigilante. Yeah, and not absolutely. A superhero, right? And they play that angle up even more. And Batman as a film franchise has done this before, most notably in The Dark Knight, where I've noted that I've probably said this before on the podcast, but one of the reasons that was such a good movie is because the, Batman wasn't a character and the joker w- w- was not a character they right. were they were personifications of of themes yep. and the main character the two of that angels story, on two faces shoulder yeah on it was harvey dent exactly yeah. that's yeah. one of the reasons the movie played so well is because and everyone the one part where they tried a little bit to make batman a character was rachel and it's become the biggest joke because no one yeah. cares about that plot line no one yeah. cared about rachel at all <laughs> you know what i'm yeah. saying that's everyone cared point. about harvey dent because mm-hmm. you're not going to make him a man by giving him a love interest that dies. He doesn't change before or after that happens. He mm-hmm. he didn't protect her before, and he's not interested in protecting her now. That's uh, a great point. Harvey Dent is the one where everything changed. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so, anyway, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons that works so well. Batman does nothing incredible in this movie. He is a vigilante. He is fearless, more or less. And he is a skilled hand-to-hand combat fighter with some some high Crazy level tech. high level equipment uh but he's not 
he's not a superhero. Mm-mm. And it's one of the reasons that he actually works as this character. He is like a cowboy. He's he's just as susceptible to being capped as anybody else in the film. Yep. Yep. Uh, he's he's Crocodile Dundee. And no one can figure out that you can just shoot him in the chin. Yeah. I, you know, I, I love this movie, but come on, guys. Chin shot. You they know? Hired, they hired the stormtroopers. <laughs> exactly. But so I mean, with that whatever. base laid, you know, it's not a superhero movie. Which is an yeah. interesting choice. It's a cowboy movie, which is an interesting choice, and it's a masculine movie, which is a defiant choice almost. It is, yeah. Let's talk about what this movie really wants to tell you, even if the creators didn't intend for it to tell you this. Yeah. And, and I think what it intends to tell you is that there is something redemptive about about the Jungian shadow, and it properly applied. So the movie opens, and like we mentioned, there's criminals looking over their shoulders, and Batman's going off on this monologue, basically doing the, but who do you say that I am, Peter, thing from the Bible. He's talking about what these different criminals think of him, and what the city thinks of him, and what the state, the the, the mayor and the, the state thinks of him. And then he tells you exactly who he thinks he is. He steps out of the shadows of that train station and he says, but I'm vengeance. I'm vengeance. And that's a key line. And then he proceeds to beat the mess out of a, a group of thugs and stoops down to pick up the their assailed victim. And Hunter, you pointed out this out to me before, but so key what happens right here. The victim wasn't doing anything wrong. In fact, he was sticking up for someone, if I'm recalling correctly, which is why the, the gang kind of picked on him in the first place followed him off the train mm-hmm. but the fr- batman just just defeats all of these assailants stoops down to like offer his hand to lift the guy up and what does he say please please don't hurt me he says please don't hurt me <laughs> right does, does that happen right. to does that happen to iron man does that happen to spider-man right why not right. everyone is swooning when spider-man shows up on the str- on the scene mm-hmm. right but when mm-hmm. Batman shows up and defeats all of your enemies, your first reaction is, let me live. Let me right. walk away. Well, Why do you think th- that is? Well, what you actually pointed this out, and I hadn't thought about this, is Batman comes from the abyss, right? And Yeah, in that, the first scene. It, and, and the whole monologue, and this is an old Batman idea, is Batman's weapon is fear, right? Um, and that that's what he preys upon. He has this... He has this. Uh, he has this idea that the the spirit that enables him to do his work is that he preys on people's fears. And you might ask yourself, what fear is that, right? And the 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 fear is the judgment of is 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 judgment essentially, right? That the actions these people are taking will come to bite them at some point in the, in, in time. And so he is this dark, menacing force that it comes from the abyss. And well you know the first thing that per- when he gets into that fight is you know he doesn't web sling and pull a guy and make a joke as he throws him and then catches him safely with a web off screen right he doesn't iron man like grab him with a special uh uh you know piece of technology and, and restrain him he beats him up and he beats him to the point where he's breaking their bones right yeah. it is it's brutal it's vicious and it's not angry 
right? And, and most of what Batman does is calm, cool, and collected, right? And it's poised, and it's someone who lives in the most dangerous moments, right? And right. so when that happens, you don't know what to expect from someone be like that because those people don't exist, right? And so... And Batman is someone who doesn't exist. Obviously, he's an idea, and he's meant to encapsulate all that. And so you have to stare at something like that and go, what in the world are you doing? Because I'm terrified. And that's exactly what the man does on, on the ground there. And he, he, he's, he has been living his life as a good citizen, a naive camel, right, and making things happen. And then he was attacked by a group of evil people, and then Batman showed up, right? right. And it was too much for him. As it should be. Right. And it, it goes to this point, too, that uh, even if even if he was innocent in the given situation, the thing that came out of the abyss didn't come for criminals. Right. It didn't come into a world of black and white. It came into a world of gray. And just because you're not the current issue doesn't mean that you shouldn't be afraid of what's down there just because yeah. you're not a nazi just because you're not a murderer just because you're not a crook or a thief or or a mobster doesn't mm -hmm. mean that you're not afraid of what comes out of the abyss because even the lay person knows that they they there's something down there that could destroy them if it chose to and it might you know what yeah. I'm saying? That's why that scene is so key and really sets the stage for the rest of the film. And I, I love what you said about how he thrives. He comes alive in these moments where where danger is the, the dominating factor. Mm-hmm. Because then you get to see, in just a, a shot later, you get to see that same character in the mundane acts of life. Mm -hmm. he's having breakfast he's going to a meeting and mm -hmm. he does not thrive he looks like no. a ghost yeah. he's living in squalor he's alone he's not maintaining his relationships and he is he is just kind of pathetic if you saw yeah. him in that situation you would think what a waste and, yeah. and you can see he's surrounded by all this wealth and opportunity and he doesn't care Yep. Right, he he's not interested in using what he is given to make things better. He seems to only be animated by whatever was in the abyss that left with him. This is one of, the, and this is you know. So I think what we could take from this first scene is the fact that Batman introduces us to exactly who he is, and who he is is so terrifying that it terrifies the populace because who knows if he's coming for them too, right? They don't they don't know and. You don't know when a monster comes out of the abyss what it's after. But the thing that you said there that was so interesting, Chris, is at the funeral, um, I can't remember who the, who it was for, but the mayor comes up to Batman and begins to pester, or comes up to Bruce Wayne and begins to pester him about why he's not doing more in the city, why he isn't giving more. And he looks like a waste to everybody who's there. But the thing that's so interesting about that, and we'll return back to this, is the movie does such a good job of showing, you know, uh, all those mayor's posters, they say true change or real change or something like that on the, it shows at one point just how naive she is. And because she's yes. unaware, because she's unaware of the, what you could say is the undercurrents of the truth of human experience. She is victim to them time and time again throughout the movie. Right. Yeah. And absolutely. what makes, what makes her strong is realizing Batman is needed. 
Right. And that's a really interesting idea. We'll dig more of that out, I'm sure. But. Yeah, I, I, I'm now I'm excited to get there because I have a lot yeah. of thoughts. So, so let's go. Let's go chronologically next, so we can we can get to that point. Yep. The next little vignette is the uh, the creating of an orphan, and yeah, this is where we're introduced to the main villain of the story, and so. The, the main villain of the story turns out to be the Riddler. He, he leaves all these puzzles. But the first crime we see him commit, he breaks and enters into the current mayor's house. Um, and Batman, I, I can't remember if it's Batman or somebody else. Somebody's watching this happen from across the street. No, I think it's the Riddler himself. I'm, I'm mixing the, up two things. The, the Riddler, the Riddler is spying is on his house. casing the joint. Casing the joint, see, and then he shows up inside the house. So he, watch, he watches the mayor play with his son. His son's about to go trick-or-treating because it's Halloween. And the next thing we know, the Riddler's inside the house, and he murders the mayor in cold blood. Not a sophisticated murder, either. Very, uh, It's a sophisticated B&E, but it's kind of a, a brutal flub of uh, a execution. If yeah, you will. it's literally done with a carpet scraper. Yeah, yeah, like, exactly. It's simple. And Batman is invited to investigate that scene by the, the real mayor of of Gotham, which is is uh, well, what's the inspector's name? It's gonna slip my mind now. Uh, um, Gordon. Gordon. Gordon is the real mayor of Gotham. I go, like well, that. okay, but but. Uh, so, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll talk about this, but Gordon has what the the female mayor prospect lady that you were talking about at the funeral scene lacks. Yeah, and is that real perspective? You're right. It's that he understands that that the thing in the abyss is real. It's not mm-hmm. leaving. And what would mm-hmm. be better than denying it is integrating with it. And you mm-hmm. see this brought into stark relief when he invites Batman to come investigate the mayor's house, right? Yep. He goes yep. in and he uh, he starts showing Batman around. And the other cops, who we find out many of them are dirty, actually, and yeah. are, are taking bribes and doing the kinds of things upon which vengeance might be exacted, Mm-hmm. go hey man who, why are you letting this guy in here he's a freak he's a vigilante he's out of control mm-hmm. we cannot control him right. so why do you let him into our walled garden yes yeah yeah we we've made this room of padded corners you know exactly. we can't let batman in here and gordon says no 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 you don't realize it we're too naive and stupid and we need this guy to save us Right, and, like and that's, Gordon's right because guess what? Gordon's right. The the padded room that they were just in was the mayor's house. That chaos already infiltrated, whether they yep. liked it or not. Yep. It was already there, and so yep. he, that's why Gordon has what el- everybody else needs. And, and not only does it make him a really redemptive character, someone who is able to redeem the city and able to e- efficate change. He is he it also prevents him from doing the things that are destroying the city. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I think exactly we should right. pause right here for just a minute and talk about the idea of the shadow from the Jungian perspective, because I yeah. think yeah, yeah. I think we said the illusion is going to get so heavy that we're going to need to reference it directly. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So Carl Gustav Jung. Uh, born 26th of July, 1875, died the 6th of June, 1961. One of the most brilliant 
practical psychologists and psychoanalytical minds of the 19th and 20th centuries. He, he took what Sigmund Freud had done with, with what, what is now modern uh, cognitive behavioral therapy and put legs on it that, that Freud lacked. Freud, the thing, Freud's a really interesting character because Freud got a lot of conclusions correct. He was able to say, if this, then that. But his then was always his weakest part. His, his, his connection was, was very, very poor. It was wrapped up in what I think is a lot of his own psychosexual struggles throughout his life. And that seemed to color a lot of his work. The easiest way, I think, to distinguish between the two is that Freud believed humans were built on a myth of reuniting with their mothers. Yep. And Jung believed that human beings were united on a myth to become heroes. And that was, that's the, and like psychological foundations are similar and like we're motivated by forces that are unknown to us and we have impulses that we don't necessarily see perfectly but um those were the clear i think those are the those stories kind of paint the different view you know like you would have an event happen and, and freud would say ah that's because you you really want to sleep with your mother and jung would say ah it's because you're trying to find out what it is to be um a, a part of the monomyth the, the hero con concept that we see in all other myth anyway right yeah and, and and that's that that's a good a good basis and you you kind of do have to discuss freud to discuss Jung in a certain way because and it's really what it is Freud was brilliant at correlation Jung was more adept at causation he was better yeah, at actually yeah, linking better. the the why we behave in the way that that Freud laid out for us yeah. one of and it's kind of interesting too another character that we talked about on the show pretty frequently Jung took the the data driven framework made by Freud and he reintegrated it with Nietzsche. Yeah. And that's one of the things that makes him such an important character because he he didn't deny the modernity of the psychoanalytical study and the field. He he reintegrated it with the wisdom of the past, and yeah. it gave him a real insight that other people at the time were lacking. So, so we're gonna talk about one of his specific ideas, and he's not the only one that's that's discussed something like this. But he took he took the theory of it and and made it into more of a science. And the concept is the concept of the shadow. Uh, you might have heard people talk about the Jungian shadow or or something to that effect. It is it is one of his his prevailing and in my opinion most useful most useful analytical tools. And he started writing about it in nineteen twelve in Psychology of the Unconscious, which was one of his first major works. And it built upon what Freud did with the ego and the id the ego being the conscious human being and the id being their subconscious and it it turned it into something a little bit greater with the idea of the shadow so the shadow 
is the unconscious behavior of the human being. But Freud might have said that the unconscious can often be evil and self-serving because of trauma or a lack of development. Where Mm -hmm. Jung said, no, not precisely. The unconscious element of the human being has actually been evil since time immemorial and it will never stop being evil it will never stop being destructive it's capable of much destruction and it's not just the the bad experiences that an individual has that shapes their their subconscious the subconscious itself has the the predisposition towards evil Mm mm-hmm one uh, and, and to discuss this, we can talk about the way that he thought that the shadow was layered. So everybody has a shadow, but the shadow also exists without any of us. He talked about the top layer of the shadow being the unconscious emotions, choices, decisions that an individual can make, like to stop paying attention during a conversation or to look at something that makes a loud noise or to become annoyed when they're not sure why they're annoyed or when they have no reason to be annoyed. Yep. But underneath that, there was a, a archetypal quasi divine shadow, this archetypal being that did not need any human any human counterpart to be real he believed that it it was the underlying nature of human unconsciousness as such yeah. and, and he he viewed it as as an independent autonomous entity in a lot of ways right so you have a lot of conscious processes that go on allow you to be a part of conversations and social and things like that but at the same time you know sounds can distract you Right, and they can influence you and bring you into different spaces. And what's the thing that is paying attention to that? Right, that 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 would be the question you would ask yourself. And then there's also the fact that like sometimes you get angry, and sometimes you get uh, hungry, and sometimes you get all kinds of other emotions. Sometimes you get frustrated with the way someone sounds when they're talking in a meeting, and it just grinds your gears. Right, and all of that underneath you, so to speak is the shadow, right? Is this thing that wants to interact with the world and make itself known. And I think the best way to think about it is something like this is it is the part of you that is obsessed with your survival and your needs and your satisfaction, right? And it will do so at the consequence of your, um, perception of yourself as Mm -hmm. a single, entity right and it will do so it will interrupt conversations that you're having with people to make sure that you are protected in a strange sense or to just make yourself heard and make yourself known and what's interesting about that is you'll see people experience this in conversations i don't know what came over me i'm usually not like that and they'll be shocked at sometimes by how angry they get or the comments they make in a conversation and how it's you know doesn't align with the person they see themselves as what's really interesting what you kind of talked about is if you integrated yourself with the with that spirit and realized it was a part of you or that part of your personality, right, there was power in that. There was an ability to just go, you know, I'm having a really violent thought right now. Why is that existing? And when is the proper time for that violent thought to exist? And how can I give that voice speech here in my conscious self? Right? How can I make that known? And then once you kind of are able to see and interact with those thoughts in a conscious way, you can 
gain the ability of knowing why they exist and implement strategies to satisfy them, right? In ways that are healthy and good and, and fulfilling even, right? right? And sometimes, and the Bible speaks to this, it says gentleness a lot, you know, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, it really means blessed are those who will exercise necessary force, Right. And so what it means is never to let yourself be walked over and never to let um, and never to uh, act in such a way that's so reprehensible that it, it it causes you to sin or err. Right. And so to to be the dividing line between all of that. And so that's that's essentially what it means to integrate your shadow. And well, the story of Batman in particular is an image of that. Yeah, um, so. so you just use the term integrating your shadow. Let me lay a little bit more groundwork for that, and I think we'll have all the tools that we need to go back and finish discussing Batman. Sure. So, so there's the it's it's interesting why why you decided to call it the shadow. He he utilized this idea kind of stemming from from. Eastern mysticism almost with the idea of the yin and yang that there mm-hmm. was a, a balance to things and and he had hard science reasons for believing this not the least of which were the two hemispheres of the brain and their their interaction over the corpus callosi and sure. and the way that they took regimented patterns and integrated them with with esoteric experimentation into creating a conscious human being and he believed that the separation of those two concepts are what gave rise to consciousness of itself and so he he said you know we are enlightened we have consciousness i think therefore i am and it because there is light in the consciousness where i can pay attention and use my my intellect like a searchlight to suss out the different elements of the world around me well there is also the shadow there are there the light of consciousness casts a shadow and there are parts of that system that beautiful integrated chaotic and orderly system that are outside the purview of the conscious mind that's why he calls the shadow the shadow because it is cast it is light that it is created by the light cast by a conscious mind and it, he would he talked about how it was one of the major the major players in the idea of psychological projection, mm-hmm. where yeah. you yeah, you exactly. will you will because he he realized that people hated hated to acknowledge that this existed that they had thoughts feelings emotions behaviors that were driven not by their own rational choice but by their own weakness and yeah. that instead of acknowledging a fault of their own they would project a flaw onto other people to cover up for their own weakness we do this all the time when we play video games especially competitive team plays video games if you're upset with your own performance it the easier thing to say is i cannot believe that someone else on my team did xyz right yeah and then you literally go and do it two minutes later yeah right oh they made me do that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) well they baited me into this play right yeah Yeah. it happens constantly and it, it it is the it is the shadow. And so by realizing that there was this tendency to ignore one's flaws and project them onto others, mm-hmm. Freud developed his his further concepts of the shadow, namely the one that Hunter was just mentioning and a second merging. So there, there's two, yeah. two important issues here. There's merging with the shadow and there's assimilation or integration with the shadow. Right. Merging with the shadow is 
realizing that you don't care anymore. Merging with the shadow is nihilism. Merging with the yep. shadow is why not do what feels good right now, even this if is, it's a bad is, long-term strategy. This is when you're in an argument and you get to the point where you're so angry that you begin to shout and scream because you don't care anymore. Because yeah. you just want to watch the other person suffer. Things that you know to be false. You, you will assert things that you know to be false just to inflict damage. You, you, you will even say it in the argument you know it to be false. Because it's, it's no longer the point, right? So. Because, you don't, because, because you are the shadow self. Yeah, you have exactly. merged completely with the shadow. And now it's the one driving you. And this is why it was yes. so key that, that Freud, uh, or I'm sorry, that Jung pointed out the distinction between yeah. the top layer of the shadow that interacts with you in your day-to-day -day life and this bottom archetypal, enigmatic, Beast. esoteric, unstoppable force that lies underneath it, which is the, the evil inbuilt in the human condition because the yep. top layer can be self-serving and often yep. is. The mm -hmm. bottom layer doesn't need you and doesn't care about you. It is also mm -hmm. self-serving, but you are not required in its equation, and it does not serve you. And when you merge with the shadow, more importantly, you serve it, and it yeah. will take you further than you want to go and steal from you more than you are willing to give. That yeah. is the, the, the eldritch force, the spirit of humanity unconscious as such that is the shadow yeah it is far more concerned with you and your survival not at the expense of the conscious self right it, it, if that sort of makes sense it's really hard to parse out the language there but i hope i'm making it clear enough is it it really cares about your body and you and it Right, but it does not care. It will do everything at the expense of the conscious self as right. fast and immediately as it can, right? Uh, and, but um, even even deeper than that, there comes a point, in my opinion, where yep. it doesn't... It will act violently towards it'll It, it will turn well. on the body itself because... Yeah, it will. You only think that it needs a host. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Right? No, but, it's something... Something far more violent than that, yeah. And the, that's the that's the different stages of merging with the shadow, if you will. Yep. Okay, yep. so then the other idea is the integration with the shadow or assimilation of the shadow, which uh, has been talked about a lot by people a lot smarter than us. Dr. Peterson would say that it's having a sword and knowing how to use it and leaving it sheathed, right? Mm -hmm. To know that you're a monster, to know what you're capable of, and to to have a spine because of that, to have a backbone because of that, to not let people take you too far mm -hmm. and not let other people who have merged with the shadow take things too far Yep, because you know that you could be them. And, and we've talked a lot about how it's the first step to moral improvement on this show. We, we've talked about it in, in, um, in Leatherbound when we talked about uh, uh, ordinary men, yeah. the same concept. Knowing yep. that you could be a monster is the key to moral improvement because then it gives you a platform upon which you can push. And, yep. of course, it's it's an extremely delicate dance, and you pointed at this out very directly because it takes a, a mountain of effort to stay assimilated with the shadow, to nurture that part of yourself without letting it take control. But it is it is the... 
it it's the line that divides the white and the dark and the yin and yang it is the path it is the place where you can walk where you are integrating order and chaos man and beast so that you can effectively propel yourself your family society forward in a direction that's good for for the whole that's the integration and assimilation of the shadow in in a nutshell so right. and so that's in that first scene that we've talked about where Batman walks down the stairs and bit beats up the robbers. And then the man says, don't hurt me. Right. Is because the, the psychological thing that's happening there is the shadow has come forth. Right. Right. And it's, and it's, it's in charge and it's acting. And so who knows? We've all seen that. We've all seen people possessed by that. And so the thing that the man on the ground doesn't realize is, it's not the shadow possessing Batman. It's Batman possessing the shadow, well, right? And I, th- and I so let me let me question that for a minute. I sure. think in that moment you might be correct, but then the very next scene we see him living in squalor. So I, I think really at that moment, and this probably adds to that individual's fear, is that sure. there that Bruce so, Wayne has not mastered the shadow. He's somewhere. Well, he's somewhere in between moments of integration and moments of 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 um being being consumed by it he's vacillating between the two at this stage of the movie in my opinion the whole movie is that growth and that change in bruce right right um but the and and in some ways when you begin this journey to act in such a way that's worthy of respect that you you respect and that um, defends and protects others, right? It's it's a journey in that in that way as well, right? And there there's an argument that what Bruce is experiencing is grief, right? And learning to master his grief. But I like the way that you say it better, which is Bruce is learning to fully integrate his shadow. But the decision he's made is to be its master. He's just not there yet. Yeah, well, right? and, and, and you kind of see this too in that scene because, sure, he rescues this guy, but he's not a knight in shining armor that shows up, you know? He's not He's not a... Um, he, he's not Superman dropping the, the little uh, assailed victim at home safe on his doorstep, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever been picked up by, you know, web slung by Spider-Man and Spider-Man lowers himself down there for an upside down kiss and they go, please don't hurt me. You know, yeah. and he just lets the man on his way, bruised, broken, bleeding. He's like, okay, find your way home. Good luck. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. He's not the hero mm-hmm. yet. He, yeah. he's, he is the shadow personified in that moment. And it's not directed. It's not directed in any overarching positive direction. It's just lashing out in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's it's dealing with the fact that, well, see, that's that's the thing about that scene. It's a really complicated scene, and it's very much tied up in the I am vengeance line, right? right? And I think we'll come back to that near the end, and maybe maybe it's a good time to, to head that way, but... Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, near, near the end of the movie, to put a lot of pieces together real quickly. There's a lot that happens. There's a whole crime family that Batman winds up taking down. There's this, uh, I don't know if you want to say anything about this in particular, Christopher. There's a conversation that Batman has with the Joker in Arkham Asylum. The Riddler. Uh, 
Excuse me, the Riddler. Yeah. Well, the Joker's there too, but they don't talk. They don't. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let, and, let me say two things about important plot points before we get to the end of the movie, which is where we kind of break everything down, I think, Hunter. Sure. Two yeah. important plot points. One, when when Bruce is investigating the mayor's house after the mayor's murder, the orphan yeah. sees him. And, and Batman feels for the orphan because Batman himself lost parents, right? Mm-hmm. And so they have a kinship there. Um, but Batman's not able to do anything to rectify the child's situation. Uh, he mm-hmm. can, he can, he pretty much ends up just ignoring the child. Um, but you can tell that he is displeased with his own inability to assuage the hurt that has caused him so much He's so still much suffering hurt. from it. Yeah. So that's one important thing. And the second one is when he goes to Arkham and talks with the Riddler, the Riddler assumes that they're playing for the same team. The Riddler is yep. under this assumption that they are yep. they are acting out a grand ballet, the result of which will be the destruction of the the not the corruption and evil in Gotham, but specifically the elements of the evil and corruption in Gotham who hurt them both personally. And we yeah. learn this because they go back to the orphanage where both Bruce and the Riddler spent time as children and Mm -hmm. the Riddler believes that this is going to be a galvanizing event for Batman to make him realize that he has got to not not fight for justice but simply to exact vengeance that so you've got this these two sides of the same coin meeting in that scene one on one side of the glass is is fully fully self-concerned I'm going mm-hmm. to repay in kind those that hurt me, because mm-hmm. why not? And on mm-hmm. the other side, you have this realization from Batman, truly only in that moment, that there is more to vengeance than exacting revenge. Yeah. That's how I'm going to say it. Okay. I think that's good. Um, there's also just this great scene where like, they take the bad gangster out and there's a bunch of cops outside and says don't you know that half of you work for me and then like they open up this door and they go well i guess not all cops are corrupt and i was like what is this movie <laughs> like i saw a woman like get beat up and i saw cops in a good light i don't understand what's happening um like th- this is hollywood hollywood made this and so anyway but yeah, well, and those to are, be those fair, are DC made it and they screw everything up. <laughs> That's yeah. Hi, my name is Zack Snyder. Um, uh, I saw like this hysterical GIF of Zack Snyder doing Batman, and it's it's Uncle Ben dying on the concrete, looking up at uh, Peter, and he goes, "Kill them all, Peter!" <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's accurate. Um, so so anyway. But yeah, Batman and the Riddler are are not on the same team. And this is what makes that comment, you know, I am vengeance so interesting, right? And what hap- what happens is Batman realizes the Riddler is going to blow uh, the, the dams, essentially, and flood Gotham and try and kill as many people as he can in the chaos, right? Yeah, that, he, that's his- basically his plot is to funnel everybody into a arena where a political debate is being held. And he's cultivated this group of... of disaffected males online to stockpile weapons and and bring them Shoot to them the the stadium so they funnel everyone there and then murder the lot of them massacre right 
so that and that is the dark shadow that's coming to fight there right and so what happens well the uh man who knows what's about to take place because he's been in contact with um with batman gordon comes up to the mayor and says mayor we have to call this off we have to get you to safety we have to get you out of here you know things are about to get insane and she goes no the people need a strong voice and a strong guiding calming presence and she walks up to the podium and she's not standing on the podium for um 10 seconds and she gets shot and it's like you should this is the point that you were saying about gordon earlier christopher is he's in touch with this underworld he knows what's going on and he knows the cost of doing of going out there and it does more harm than it does good yeah right and and nobody needs a, a passive a pacifist idealist yeah, and exactly. And not only that, it takes the symbol of authority that people were leaning on for support and immediately injures it, right? And so it, it's More like, than, it's it, worse it, than good. It, it executes or it's it worse than nothing. on display. Yeah, You exactly. know what's worse than, than, than the symbol, the rallying symbol dying? Is yeah. the, the rallying symbol being humiliated in public. Yeah, right? exactly. You're dying in public, right? So, yeah. So... So then, of course, Batman's on the scene, and he's here to bring out justice, right? And so he's fighting all these guys. Catwoman's there. It's a great time. They kiss on top of a catwalk, which, man, that's fitting. And then, so <laughs> anyway, anyway, the whole situation gets rectified. And by that, I mean Batman punches people, punches a lot of these um, goons in the face, right? The Riddler's henchmen. And as they tear off the Riddler's mask and they're staring at him, they say, who are you? You know, trying to get to the bottom of this. Gordon's with Batman, and Gordon, uh, and and the henchman looks up to them and says, "I'm vengeance," and it's it's this punctuation at the beginning and the end of the film of this line. Right? We saw Batman say it near the subway, and now we've seen the worst scum and villainy use it as well. And if who knows when the transformation occurred, but it's very very obvious at the at this point that what those two people said is equatable, but incredibly different. Right. And what Batman and what the Joker said is I am the vengeance for my own concern and my own will and my own desires. Right. I'm sorry, the, the Riddler's henchman and Batman's vengeance was I am the vengeance of a people maligned and, and hurt and beset upon. And, and to prove that point immediately after that conversation takes place, Bat, there's a giant electrified generator swinging over a giant pool of water. Full of citizenry. Full of citizenry. You can figure out what would happen if that hit the water. Without thinking about it, beaten, battered, bruised, uh, with some kind of steroid running through his system, Batman jumps onto the swinging rope above the electrified generator, grabs uh, a batarang from his belt or his chest, and cuts the wire, de-electrifying the generator and falling more than 30 feet down into the pool. Yeah. Uh, and, possibly and, to his death. Well, also, he, he electrifies himself by cutting into a live wire, right? Sure. Goes unconscious, and then one of the worst places to be unconscious is in water that's deeper than your nose when you're lying flat. Right, so yes. he's unconscious at the bottom of the a pool here, and, and Hunter, I'm going to play with a, a, an idea that I've been thinking about for a moment. Um, uh-huh. You asked when did the transformation take place? Mm-hmm. I think possibly in that very moment. I think possibly yeah. in that very moment. 
And it's so cool when you're talking about the Jungian idea of assimilating with the shadow, which incorporates this concept that you have to you have to stare into the abyss, right? And, and Batman spent the whole movie staring into the abyss. That is, that's the the idea is that you stare into the abyss and it will stare back into you. And that's clearly what's happened when he walks out of the the train station at the beginning of the movie. It's like that who knows how long he's been down there but whatever he's been down there looking at it came up with him you know it the abyss stared back into his soul and he brought something back up from the darkness with him and now mm-hmm. it it's the reason everyone looks over their shoulder when they walk around the streets at night yeah he goes back to the abyss in that moment right unconscious fully enveloped in the shadow into a pool of water which is a a legendary metaphorical trope for the abyss baptism rebirth right absolutely and he he goes down into the water and and the the Jungian notion is that if you stare into the abyss long enough after a point when it stares back at you you will find in it that which you need to overcome the abyss itself Mm -hmm. and that's what I think that scene is about if, if it was intentional yeah. or not, it's brilliant in the way that they do it because he goes into the water and when he comes back out, you take it away from here. But I think, I think whether they meant to or not, they perfectly executed the concept that he hadn't spent enough time staring into the abyss yet. But when he gets back up out of the water, he's, he has everything he needs and he proves it by his very next actions. Yeah, you know, and I, I think that's really good. I, you know, I, I think whether it happens there psychologically for Batman or not, it's it, the imagery is perfect. Yeah, and one of the things the me- that's the, great, it's metaphorically it happens then. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think one of the things that's brilliant about that too is the emotion that Batman uses to cut through the live wire. It's not peace. It's not. Um, listen, if Batman was to cut through the wire and think, "Man, I'm so happy I get to be kind for everybody." we can feel that that's not enough to cut through the wire, right? We can feel it by saying those words. And the thing that's so interesting in that scene is Batman is screaming. Yeah. He's yelling. This is being in the gym, lifting more weight than you've ever done before. Like that, that's the action that's being, that's taking place. Yeah, to here. be clear, not in pain. He's in no, determination beforehand, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. And yeah. so he is determined to act in a violent manner to save other people. Right. 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 Yeah. And, so, and so he chooses and accepts that he falls into the pit, accepting his death. If it comes of that and comes forth, saved right and reborn in a sense and this is the argument that you're kind of making is that this is the moment where he has acted in the shadow but has been a master of it and has used it for his own purposes to save others Mm -hmm. right and so Mm -hmm. what does he do well he lights a flare right because he now can bring light into dark areas this is going to be the longest episode of carpooling ever yes he lights a flare i'm going to go back one more time okay so I, I left a part out of that explanation of the shadow and, and it goes to the spirit of humanity. You have to read deeper into Jung or better yet, listen to Peterson talk about Jung to get this in a much more condensed package. But what you find in the abyss, and, and this is the story of Monstro and Pinocchio, is you find your father. You find the wisdom of your ancestors that have have integrated the shadow before in a successful way that it brought about the existence of you at least right (laughs) like whatever they did beforehand worked well enough for the species to continue yeah and you're the carrier of that banner yeah oh i'm going i'm going back in narrative 
Yeah. This yeah. plot we haven't talked about is that there's people assailing the idea of Bruce's father who had yeah. this public works program that was supposed to revitalize and bring life to the city. Yeah. And they're, they're accusing his father of being a crook and being a scoundrel, right? And it turns out that that's not exactly true. There was some, there was some encroaching elements that added to the scandal. Um, but the, that is playing out too here because the idea is we have to revitalize the city and save Gotham, et cetera. And, and part of that, part of what's happening in that scene too is him, uh, him accepting the strength of the father, meeting with the father, which he's been doing throughout the movie, but that comes to a head at that moment too. I just, I, I think it's a, mm. a cool analog that they threw in there. I mean, they, yeah. they, they get this idea of the shadow right like seven layers deep. Yeah, so. yeah, it's all there. And you, you see that most vividly play out when Batman is in the hospital room with uh, Alfred. Yeah. And they have the conversation about it. And it's like, well, when do you meet your father in the abyss? Well, he's in a hospital bed in modern times. Yeah. Right. And, he, and he's, you know, and so like it's interesting scene. So Batman rises out of the water he pulls out a flare because now he's a bringer of light. He's a conqueror of the abyss, so to speak, right? He has died and come back. And he heads over to the citizenry that is um, trapped by the stage, right? And so he heads over with his 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 uh, uh, stick of light, his wand of light, right? And he helps remove the barricade that's trapping everyone out and brings them out of the cave of uh, that they're in. And he extends his hand that isn't holding the light to the people that are trapped. And it's the mayor that you see most clearly. And she is the mother guardian of the city, right? Naive and concerned with protecting her children. And she's terrified of him. And rightly so. She just saw him fall out of the sky for crying out loud. And defeat tens and potentially hundreds of henchmen in a battle where that where she was endangered by their actions, right? He's terrifying. Yeah. So Batman won that he won by becoming under the influence of some mystery drug as well, you know? Right. Exactly. He's a bad guy. He's a bad guy. And he keeps his hand out and the per and the what takes his hand first, right, is the mayor's son. The, the mayor that has died, son, the deceased mayor, son, the orphan, right? And so what it is, is the child that has lost the father in his life needs the father to save him. Right. Right. And realizes it. And, and in a sense, this is, you know, he is becoming the spirit of his father, right? One that stands up for the orphans and saves them from the abyss. And the child doesn't understand how bad Batman is, but knows intuitively that he needs those tools to survive. And that's why he's not afraid of him in that dark moment. And so once, and this is the crazy part that's so cool, is once the child realizes it needs the survival, the knowledge, and the violence inherent in, inside Batman, despite its terror, is the mother of the city then offers him her hand. Yes. It says, what you have is required to protect children. What you have is required to protect the weakest among us, and you can lead because of that, right? And it's because it's not of his qualities of being a dark, mean man. It's because of what that means for the future and how it protects other people, right? And so Batman takes both of them and then walks out of darkness into light, right, yep. with, his, with, his, with his flare. And so then you learn explicitly at that point that the vengeance that both of those men were talking about it was not the same, right? And you also learn explicitly that men without the vengeance that Batman possessed aren't worth having around, 
Yeah. Yeah, because the vengeance saved the the entire city. It saved it saved society as such. But but you go back to the the scene in the asylum. Mm. It's the same underlying animating spirit. It's the same shadow. They're both vengeance. They're they're vengeance. It's it understands itself. It recognizes itself. Game recognized game. Game recognized so game. much to the point that the the one who has who has been consumed by the shadow mm-hmm. can't differentiate between the one that has assimilated it. Yes, right. Exactly. It's the same. It's the same vengeance, but it it's how it's applied. So much like him. Exactly. Exactly. And that is that's the key to to the shadow in the story and you can see how it's its own animating force acting independently of the characters the mm. difference the difference is that one has decided to bear the burdens of such a yes. shadow and the other yes. one has decided to be defined by them mm. and mm. that makes all the difference and you said it perfectly hunter that every the shadow touches everybody but the ones who are not willing to bear the burden of such a shadow forthrightly aren't worth having around. And it wasn't until Batman dove into the depths, right, and recapitulated his his own orphan status, recapitulated his relationship with his father and his father's legacy, and reintegrated the wisdom of his ancestors and the ancients who came before him and did battle with the same shadow, but some forthrightly in the story of his father and some not so forthrightly with the gangsters and the mobsters that he was involved with, right? Mm. It wasn't until he integrated that knowledge that he was able to reach out his hand and the orphan grabbed it because he said, I, you've integrated the father and that's what I lack. And then yeah. the new mayor said, you've integrated the father and that's what the, the, was taken away from my city. Yes, exactly. Perfect, yeah. perfect moment. And, then the the movie basically wraps up with a teaser for the next movie and and the scene like you said where he's led led them out into light it's daytime they're on top of the stadium now there's helicopters and rescue coming in and for the first time the state is kind of following his lead instead of questioning batman's leadership and so um it's a it's a real nice package that they wrap that up in Mm mm-hmm and and this is the thing is like sometimes you have to be someone who acts illegally and that's what Batman does right and I think the times for that are extremely limited and we tell stories about that because it, it is the archetype of that right it is the it is the highest you can think of when it's appropriate to act illegally but you have to act this way in a boardroom and you find people like the Riddler I shouldn't say a boardroom you feel, you have to act like this in a in a business meeting right you have to act like in this same spirit because you will find people that act like the Riddler in those meetings, right? That act for their own selfish interest and allow that spirit to possess them and to do the things that they want to do. And if you don't come to that meeting just as dangerous as they are, you will get taken advantage of. And everybody knows that to be true. Right. Right. Well, and that's one and, of the reasons that this movie is a good movie. Exactly. Whereas so many movies aren't um, yes. is because it's a story about humanity. And the yes. thing that narrative does in general, narrative movies art myth does is it it blows up these very human stories to a scale where you can see the details. Right. And you can feel the individual ridges and ba- take away something useful from what you learned about it. It doesn't yeah. have to be this world beating cataclysm where you save the lives of 
you know, a thousand innocents to matter. That the reason that the story resonates with you is because it's a story about you and a story yeah. about what you could be if you were able to to not be pathetic while not being vengeful, right? Mm. And so that's 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 one of the reasons why it resonates, and this is what great myth does, right? Mm -hmm. Great myth puts it on a scale where even people as blind and dumb as we are can see it. Right, right. Yeah. Um, So if you, too, want to go and beat up the gangs of Gotham City, all that's required is the supplements from our sponsor, FNX Fit. FNX Fit, punch the Riddler in his filthy mouth. Uh, That's probably (laughs) their slogan. I don't know. Yep. You should check out code Carl Pulling, though. <laughs> oh, okay. For 15% sure off because there's nothing responsible or manly about overpaying for supplements. Yeah. Yeah. Punch that Riddler with 100% of the force with only 85% of the cost. But that's, look, there's really nothing better that you could do with your time. <laughs> anyway, guys, hope you enjoyed that episode. I encourage you all to deepen your knowledge and understanding of of psychology and the psychoanalytic history and legacy and and process because it allows you to it allows you to dissect narrative into something that's very useful and very very um gratifying i think to interact with it's uh, it's a really great skill to have and, and the way that you get there is not by going and watching movies the way that you get there is by reading a book so anyway i, I encourage everybody to to deepen their understandings of that and you you kind of find the wonder of the human spirit all around you the more that you learn so it, it's a really useful worthwhile thing to do i think and if you don't have the human spirit within yourself then you probably need to go see a doctor and get tested uh-huh.